0: Good morning. I'm add my welcome to those of you who are new here today. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're delighted if you're joining us here. For the very first time, what we're all about is just all about connecting, connecting people to God, connecting people to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things, especially if you are new here today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A couple quick tags before we jump in or talk about today. One, I've heard fantastic things about the women's retreat yesterday, so uh, thanks so much to the whole crew that put that together. Blessings on the ladies who went, and I pray it's a blessing to you and to our whole community. Thanks for uh, investing time in Energy into that, and then secondly, if you're new, you might not know we're one church in two locations, and uh, we've been praying all fall. We have a location here in North Chatham, and a location in Pittsburgh. We've been praying. All fall about the possibility of doing another campus in Siler City. And so uh, we're praying tonight, 7 o'clock, to just ask God, is is he opening the door for us to go to Siler? If you uh, love prayer, if you love the church, or if you have a heart for Chatham County and blessing all of Chatham County, 7 o'clock down in Chatham Mills and Pittsboro, tonight is our third of four installments of praying. It stands alone. Just come and join us as we seek the Lord's face Together. This is week four of our series called Age to Age. If you're just joining us, there's two problems we're solving uh, throughout this whole course of the series. One is that most of us have this sort of buckshot, disheveled closet of understanding of the Old Testament, right? We've got like, there's like David and Goliath and Noah and the Ark, but how it all fits together, we don't really know how it all fits together. So, goal number one is to sort of replace uh, and organize the chaos of the Old Testament closets so that we understand how the whole Old Testament fits together. And part of the whole goal of that is because. Every one of the New Testament writers loved the Old Testament. And they're talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of all these things that came before. So the only way we really understand what Jesus is up to is if we understand a little bit more of what the Old Testament is up to. And the promise is that God's fulfilling in and through the work of Jesus. The second goal of this whole series is this. We want to replace that picture many of us have of the angry Old Testament God, like angry mean God in the Old Testament, with the God who is faithful age to age. Not that there aren't hard things in the Old Testament, but that what we see is the God who makes all these promises in the Old Testament is fulfilling them. And the one that Jesus shows us is the same God who is faithful age to age. Now, to help us with these goals, you've got these little bookmarks strewn all about. Again, uh, this is uh, week, week four of these. If you haven't gotten one of these yet, if you've picked one up every single week, there's always more. Take one, take one, take one. If you're, on, if you're online in the show more section, this is available. Just click in the link and you can download this as well. This is the whole Old Testament in one bookmark. Again, value, value, value here at Chatham Community Church. Just taking care of you. Uh, here, is, here it is all at a glance. And what we're going to invite you to do is throughout the course of the series, we're going to fill in sort of these different eras when the scriptures are being written What books are written about this era? When are they being written? And we're going to invite you to kind of fill those in, if you would like, uh, across the top as we go through. There's pens and pencils and seat pockets in front of you. Uh, Week one, we looked at the call of Abram on page 12 of the Bible, where God makes a promise. Through you, all peoples are going to be blessed. And that happens in the book of Genesis. And then... Uh, We fast-forwarded to the giving of the Ten Commandments, which only comes after the people are rescued out of slavery in Egypt because in the Scriptures, salvation, rescue always comes first. The law, the commands come second. And during the 40 years in the wilderness, uh, Moses is traditionally being understood, uh, along with his kind of compatriots, the people he's supervising, are writing the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first time anyone is writing down... Who this God is that Israel's been serving for hundreds of years that just set them free from slavery and captivity. And then fast forward to uh, settling in the land. You got Joshua, Judges, and Ruth are telling the story of what life is like for the Israelites as they're settling into the land. And then last week we looked at this period of the united monarchy. This is the heyday, the high point of ancient Israel under King David and King Solomon. And we're getting some space management issues with how things fit across the top here. So I had to clear this out, but you've got... 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Psalms written by David, also collected by David, and then Proverbs written mostly by Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, also f- understood to be, have been written by Solomon as well. So now we're moving to the point in the Old Testament, which is the most important turning point in the, kind of the, this time, and it's also the most confusing because Israel has a civil war that's the passage we just read today and the northern kingdom gets split off and they are called Israel for the whole rest of the old testament so anytime in the for the second half of the old testament you hear the word Israel it's not referring to the whole country it's only referring to the northern kingdom and the northern kingdom is not where Jerusalem is it's not where the temple is the southern kingdom is called Judah that's where Jerusalem is that's where the temple is and that's the southern kingdom stays faithful longer. Now both struggle a lot. Both kingdoms struggle a lot with worshiping false gods. The two things that they, they struggle with are idolatry and injustice. And so you've got all these prophets that arise during this period of time. And so almost all the prophetic books are written during this period of time. First and second kings, second chronicles, and then all these prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Joel, Amos, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, are all sent to both either northern kingdom, Israel, or southern kingdom Judah To help them, to kind of correct them And to call them back to worshipping the God that they, of their ancestors And the God who loves them The God of Abram who made these promises And these, these, these prophets, if you read them, they're kind of harsh they're, they're very corrective and they're very strong But woven throughout the prophets Are these promises and the hopes That one day there will come someone Who will restore all things One day there will come someone who will fulfill the promise to Abram and to King David, who will make all things right and new. But in the meantime, they're trying to figure out how do we manage and how do we come back to the God of Israel, the God who rescued us from Egypt and who established the covenant. And today we're going to look at how the split happened and why the split happened, because it's so formative for the whole rest of the Old Testament. And part of what we're going to get at today is this. What we're going to look at today is we're going to get a roadmap for how not to make your next big decision. How not to make. Your next big decision because when you're making a big decision there's often a whole swirl of emotions sometimes fear sometimes anxiety sometimes ambition sometimes vanity and my guess is this if you look back over your life at some big decisions you have made when you've let fear anxiety vanity or pride drive the bus it almost always leads to the land of regret doesn't it and today we're gonna see how Couple guys at some key moments, at key points in their professional career, at the, in the life of Israel, how they, how they make the decisions poorly. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how, what are some better ways we might make key decisions at key points in our lives. So, setting the stage, you have King Solomon who was uh, a great king who established the temple, built the temple. We looked at him last week. Big celebration. Toward the second half of his life, he marries a lot of foreign wives who bring their gods with them. And so for the last half of Solomon's life, he's building all these temples and shrines to all these other gods. Now, this isn't just an issue of let's all be tolerant of other gods. Some of these gods demanded child sacrifice. So we're talking babies being burned to death on the altar of gods that aren't actual gods. And so... The Lord is not happy with Solomon that he's doing this. And so in the chapter, just before the one that Colleen just read, by the way, we pay her by the word, so phew, it's an expensive week for us here at time Community Church. In the chapter before the one we just read this, that we just read today, God appears to Solomon who's not happy with the fact that he's worshiping all these other gods that sit in these shrines and temples. And here's what God says in 1 Kings 11, the chapter just before all this. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appointed who had appeared to him twice. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you've not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. And then God goes on to say, but I'm not going to do it to you because of my because I loved your father David so much. I'm going to take it away from your son And then 1 Kings 11 goes on to tell the story of one of those subordinates we met in the the, the chapter that Colleen just read, Jeroboam, who gets a prophecy that you're going to become king over 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now he gets his prophecy, and Solomon's still king, and Solomon gets word of it, and so he flees to Egypt. So just like King David got the promise, you're going to be king, but someone else is on the throne, he's in exile, so too is Jeroboam in exile. He flees to Egypt, and then he comes back once rehoboam becomes king and 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 he leads sort of the the breakup of israel like we just read about just now and in this we get to one of the most important questions in the old testament and in this we get to one of the most important questions for many of us in the scriptures and that is this how is this not just the angry old testament god all over again how is god not just angry like he's taking away the kingdom from the son Because of the father and what the father did. How is this the picture of the faithful God? And for some of us, it's not just a theory question. For some of us, it's a personal question. And the question is this. Could I mess up so bad that God would punish me irrevocably for something I've done? Right? Could I mess up so bad, do something so wrong, that God could punish me or my family for something I did? This is the question that hangs over the whole Old Testament, and, and, and as God disciplines the people of Israel. And I want to hit a, 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 a few core principles behind God's discipline of his people in the Old Testament because it's such an important kind of concept, an important theory. Four factors that shape god's old testament discipline number one is this we always got to remember one the whole point of god's god's work in the bible is to fulfill that covenant he made on page 12 that through this one family all the nations are going to be blessed that's the promise god made to abram now it's a nation of israel right so god made a covenant through this family all the people on earth are going to be blessed that's the whole driving like sort of uh plot line for the whole scripture two the people of God in that family are not always eager to being, uh, being God's blessing delivery device. Sometimes they don't want the job. Sometimes the people of Israel say, uh, we don't want to be the conduit of God's blessing into this world. We'd rather chase after other gods, just like Solomon did. We'd rather do other things. So the people are not always eager to be faithful to the job that God has called them to. I'm going to bless you, and through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. So... Throughout the Old Testament, here's what we see. We saw this last week. Regularly we see God accommodating missteps. Regularly we see God accommodating or correcting missteps. Often he says, I can work with that, right? The people ask for a king. God says, I don't want you to have a king. A king's going to be bad news for y'all. That's going to be bad. But I tell you what, if the king is faithful to me, I am willing to work with that. Here's the good news. God knows people are messy. Not you, of course. Other people. And groups of people are even messier. Again, not Shattam Community Church people, but lots of people out there. When they gather in groups, they're super messy. And God's like, listen, in the mess, I'm willing to redeem it. I'm willing to work with it. I don't want you to have a king, but if the king's devoted to me, I will bless them. And we see that even throughout, after the split. God says, hey, if the king's devoted to me, I will bless them, and I'll bless the people through them. God is so willing and gracious to meet people even in the midst of some of their missteps and even some of the rebellion he can, he's going to correct them and push back over and over and over again but he's willing him over and over again to say i can work with that i can work with that i can work with that until <laughs> until the blessing of the nations is no longer possible because they've moved too far away from the source of the blessing for that to happen god says i want to bless the nations i want to bless it through human beings and If you're moving away from the source of the blessing, you can no longer be the blessing to the nations I I, I made you to be. Here's the deal. God's plan A is to redeem the world through people who are following him. There is no plan B. There's only a handful of exceptions to this. Throughout the whole Bible, over and over and over again, God calls messy, imperfect people, Moses, Abram, David, people like you and me, to be his instruments of grace. And there was almost with very rare exception, no plan B. So the only way that redemption and salvation comes is through people. That's God's plan A. In fact, God is so devoted to that plan that eventually he himself is going to put on flesh, become a human, to redeem all peoples, to set the world to right. The perfect image bearer, true Israel, who's going to do and be what Israel was supposed to have been all along. That's how committed God is to sort of saving the world through his people. He's going to become that perfect person himself. In the meantime, Israel's got a job to do. And when Israel strays from the source of blessing and they they can no longer be that conduit of blessing, God corrects them and corrects them and reshapes them over and over and over again. He's going to discipline his people. And the way that the author, 1 Kings, wants us to read this story, he very much wants us to see how not ready to be an instrument of blessing Rehoboam is, the son of Solomon, who's supposed to be the king through whom God moves and stirs. So here's how the story works, right? Rehoboam goes to Shechem for his coronation ceremony after his dad Solomon passes away. It's a very wise political move. Shechem is a little further north from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is way in the south. Shechem is further up north. He wants to consolidate power and keep all the northern tribes on his side. So he goes up there and the people come to him and say, look, your dad worked us hard, heavy yoke. Take that yoke off of us and we'll serve you. Solomon loved building projects. He built a temple. We looked at that last week. It took seven years, slave labor, to do that. He built his own temple, I mean his own palace, 14 years to build his own palace, which tells you a little bit something about seven years for God, 14 years for Solomon. It tells you a little bit about how Solomon kind of got a little bit self-absorbed in all that, right? So Solomon loved building projects. He enslaved people to do that. And in fact, God warned them, this is what king's gonna do. He's gonna enslave your children. And so the people said, hey, lighten up on us and we'll serve you. Uh, uh, Rehoboam says, hey, go away for three days and come back. And then Rehoboam goes and consults his his dad's advisors. Solomon was one of the wisest men on earth. He had really wise advisors. And the advisors, the elders say to him, give them a favorable answer and they will serve you all their days. This is the best way for you to build favor with these people. And Rehoboam hears this wise advice and he says, nah, next. And so what Rehoboam does is he goes to his drinking buddies. The, guy, the kids he grew up with, the guys he grew up hey, drinking buddies, what do you think I should do? And the drinking buddies say to him exactly what he wants them to say. Make their lives harder. You're king now, flex. Don't let them push you around. His ambition, his pride, his arrogance, he dismisses the wise advice of his dad's advisors. He listens to his drinking buddies. He loses 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the whole thing is a hot Hot, hot mess, as we like to say in the South. This is the first big decision that he has to make in his life, in his reign. And Rehoboam, notice, doesn't pray at all. He doesn't look to God at all, doesn't ask God at all for any help. He doesn't look for wisdom or advice from anyone. He listens to the wrong people. He doesn't study the scriptures. There's nothing about this as God would. In fact, throughout this whole story, nobody prays. Not Jeroboam, not Rehoboam, neither one of them looked to God for answers. And the result is this sort of unfolding hot mess that turns into, as David Patterson of the Connect devotional this week, he described it as the hot mess express, which I think is a very, very appropriate picture of what's happening here. The only place where God speaks into the story is the only place of wisdom, when God says back off of the civil war, don't go battle. And so they do. That's the only place where shalom hits, peace hits, everything else is just a hot mess. But Ray Bowen had wise advisors, he had wisdom given to him, he's refused to listen to it. And so today as we talk about how do you make good decisions when you're in the swirl of big, big emotions, here's the deal. Who or what are you speaking to or listening to, looking to for wisdom and guidance? It's a question you got to ask. Who or what are you listening to, looking to for wisdom and for guidance? Because Ray Boehm had good wisdom, he's refused to listen to it. One of our core values here at Chatham Community Church is we want to be relationally connected. That is, we want every single one of you to have your people here in the Christian community. At least one person, two people, that will pray for you, encourage you, and here's the deal they have permission to tell you when you're being stupid because it happens from time to time, right? Who can tell you, hey, you're off track here? Not in a bullying way or mean way, in love, tell you you're being stupid. It's a great gift. We want everyone to have that gift in fact i want to say there's there's three things that god has used in my life to shape my life almost more than anything else these are like three of the top six things that are in my life that have shaped my life almost more than anything else. these great gifts for wisdom and guidance jesus himself is amazing grace the scriptures and all their wisdom and then christian community people speaking into my life praying for me and tell me when i'm being stupid how many of you would say that Jesus' is amazing grace, the scriptures, and Christian community. These are three of your top seven, like, in your life that have changed your life forever and ever. Like, these are, like, the things. Three of anyone, anyone, folks, that like, this is your life? Yeah, your story. Listen, if you don't have one of these three things, you're missing. You're missing life. If you're missing one of these three things, if you don't know Jesus' amazing grace if you're not engaging with the scriptures in a way that helps to shape you toward wisdom and toward God's love and what it looks like to be a a, a God follower, and if you don't have people in your life who are praying for you and supporting you and encouraging you and occasionally telling you, hey, I think you're off track here, if you don't have those things in your life, you are missing like like a three-legged stool. I don't even know how you're holding it up. I mean, there's so much life you're missing out on without these three things. And you're in the right place. Step in, step in. God's got so much more for you than, than what you're settling for right now. And at the same time, All of us have people in our lives who have none of these three things zero that don't know the grace of jesus don't know anything about the wisdom of scriptures and don't have any community praying for them and coming alongside them i would be a such a i would be such a lesser man here in my life without jesus the scriptures and christian friendships there are people in our lives who don't have any of these three things would you let god break your heart for that that you have family members and friends that don't know amazing grace don't know the wisdom and the gift of scriptures, don't have people in their lives that they can be honest with, be, have, be praying for them and caring for them, coming alongside them, would you let God break your heart for that? And then would you be bold this, as we had in the holiday season, the Christmas season, people are more spiritually open than any other time of the year. Would you be bold in praying and bold in inviting people who don't know Amazing Grace, who don't have the scriptures and don't have community that can pray for them and come alongside them to come and see what God's doing here at Chad Community Church? Would you be bold in praying for those people? Would you let God break your heart for those people? And some of you are those people. We're so glad you're here. Come in, come in. God's got so much for you. Rehoboam doesn't seek God, doesn't pray, doesn't seek the scriptures. He listens to the wrong people. As a result, he loses the kingdom over it. Who are you looking to for wisdom and guidance? Where are you looking to for wisdom and guidance when you have to make a big, important decision? Now as Jeroboam sets up shop in the northern kingdom, there's a couple of interesting pieces to his story. And part of the interesting piece of his story is the backstory for how we got here. And again, in the chapter before, the chapter that, that Colleen just read for us, Jeroboam gets told by God, I'm going to give you 10 of the 12 tribes because Solomon's a mess and this is, all, this is not working out. So here's what God said to Jeroboam many years before all this went down in 1 Kings 11. I will... Take you, and you will rule over all that your heart desires, and you'll be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you, and walk in obedience to me, and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I'll be with you. I will build you a dynasty, get this, as enduring as the one I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. So God gives Jeroboam this incredible promise before he goes to Egypt. You just obey me. I'll give you the whole, I'll give you all this kingdom and I'll be as faithful to you as I've been to King David. This is many years before all this happens. So he flees to Egypt and he has lots of years to think about it and think about it and think about it. And then he comes out of exile comes back comes back to Israel. He goes from exile to king over ten of the twelve tribes, like that. It happens almost overnight. Only Judah and the tribe of Benjamin are still loyal to Rehoboam in the south. Now Jeroboam has a chance to set the kingdom up on the right foot. Jeroboam is starting this new nation, right? Kind of in the northern kingdom. He's got the opportunity to believe God's promises. God had already told him this was gonna happen many years before. Here it is. It's finally happened. Jeroboam has a chance. To set up a beautiful, wonderful kingdom and for God to bless him the way that he wanted to bless David. But we get a little insight into what Jeroboam's brain starts to do. And here at this critical point, here at one of the most critical points in Israel's history of ancient history, Jeroboam surrenders to a very familiar foe, not a friend. And that, fe- and that foe is fear. Here's what Jeroboam thinks. Verse 26, Jeroboam thought to himself, self? The kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They'll kill me and return to King Rehoboam. So, this is what he's thinking, right? This is what he's rehearsing. They will kill me. If they go back to Jerusalem over and over and over again, eventually they'll go back to Lord Rehoboam and they'll go back to Jerusalem as the capital and they will kill me. Now, here's what I want to propose to you. This is not an unreasonable fear. Not crazy. Not, 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 not crazy. And But what he does, we'll talk about it a little bit, it's so heartbreaking, but I want to name something, a dynamic right here because it's so important. Jeroboam responds to a perfectly reasonable fear with completely faithless action. Ever done that before? Jeroboam, he is Worst case scenarioing it is that a var- verb to worst case scenario. He's worst case scenarioing it. Some of you are like this is like your spiritual gift for some of you, right? You sit around and worst case scenario things all the time, right? This is like how you play things out over and over and over again, anticipating, anticipating. How it could go wrong? What could go wrong? How do I manage those things, right? Like listen, and sometimes you look back at the things you worst case scenarioed, you're like that was a little ridiculous, a little over the top. But sometimes you look at it and say, no, I was right. That could have been a threat. That could have been a problem. But here's the problem, my friends, when you've got a good reason to be afraid. You can justify almost anything. When you've got a perfectly good reason to be afraid, you can rationalize and justify almost anything that the sort of a wise, thoughtful version of you would not even consider. Some of you have made some really terrible decisions because when you're in the pressure of worst-case scenario, worst-case scenario, you can swirl and get caught up in all the anxiety and all the fear and all that kind of thing, and you throw in some pride or ambition or vanity in there, it is toxic, right? I have a reasonable fear. Here's what fear is good for. Fear is a helpful alarm bell to tell you something might be wrong. What fear is not helpful for is to tell you how to deal with what might be wrong. Fear is not a good instrument for planning. Fear is, uh, unless, you're being, unless you're about to be hit by a bus or run down by a Yeti, be afraid, okay, yes, run. But if it's a more complicated situation than you're being hit by a bus or being chased down by a large animal, other than that, fear does not help you, is not a helpful instrument for planning. So what, So I want to invite you, what I want to invite you to do, when you feel fear, name it. I hear you, Fear. I'm grateful for that. That's an alarm bell. There are things that I might need to to manage. But I want you to replace fear with something much, much, much healthier. What might faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage look like? Don't let fear make the decision. Don't let the alarm bells make the decision. Fear is not a helpful instrument for planning unless it's something that you got to respond to right away. A better instrument for planning is asking the question or praying the question, God, what might faith look like here? What might a wise response look like here? God, how might I live courageously in light of those things? What might love call me to do? How might I love my neighbor, love you? If you can be in a very, very sort of important decision, sort of nexus in your life, if you can be at a crossroads where you're feeling all the feels and there's all these alarm bells going off, and if you can step back from the alarm bells for just a second, and instead of letting fear drive the bus of your life, which usually leads us to the land of regrets... If you can let faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage, if you let those things drive the bus of your life, it will lead you to places that are fruitful and generative and life giving. Jeroboam, at one of the most important seasons of his life, allows fear to drive the bus of his life. And what happens as a result is he introduces toxic chaos that just unravels and undermines the people spiritually, socially, relationally for generations. He's, in, he's the king, so him making a bad decision introduces all these toxins into the culture, spiritually, as well as psychologically, as well as emotionally, as well as relationally. And the northern kingdom will never, ever, ever be a healthy place. And part Jeroboam surrendered to fear, even though God had promised him, you follow me, I will make you a great king as great as David. So what Jeroboam does is this echo, this horrible, terrible echo of earlier in ancient Israel's story. Here's what Jeroboam does. After seeking advice, again, no prayer here, the king made two golden calves. He said to the people, way too much for you, too hard to go to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. One he set up in Bethel, the other in Dan. This thing became a sin. The people came to worship the one at Bethel and went as far as Dan to worship the other Sunday school kids time to shine you grew up with Sunday school kids so here it is here it is what story does this echo what does this remind you of some golden calves popping out what does this remind you of yeah moses so way, way back in the exodus when moses was getting the 10 commandments he's 40 days up and uh, up the mountain getting the getting the, the 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 10 commandments the people start to freak out where'd moses go he's dead make us a god so Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, takes the earrings from the people and makes a golden calf and says, the exact same things, here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This exact same line. In the Exodus, God is angry it it's really ugly. Here, If the people and the generations after Jeroboam, they read this quote, and the hair on the back of their neck is standing up because this was a terrible mistake hundreds of years ago, and it's a terrible mistake again right here, right now. The people are falling back into the same terrible, horrible mistake hundreds of years later. We're talking about this in my small group this past week. And we're talking about repeating the same bad mistake, right? And it's horrible when you see it in the Bible and see it here because this is a, a hot mess. Hot mess expressed. just gets worse and worse and worse. And the people of, of the northern kingdom are going to fall into these gods for generations. It's a bad enough thing when it's in the Bible. But here's the truth of the matter is, this is not just a biblical pattern you see. This is a problem you see right here, right now, right? People repeating the same mistakes. Over and over and over again It's not just a problem Israel had, is it? We were talking about this in my small group. And we came up with a, a couple of descriptions to talk about sort of this, uh, this vortex, right, of this, this vicious cycle. And we came up with a couple of descriptions. The descriptions we came up with this was, uh, it was the vicious cycle of self-destructive behavior. Familiar, comfortable, and terrible for you. Familiar, comfortable, terrible for you. When I'm meeting with a couple who's in a hard spot in their marriage... They're often having the same bad conversation over and over and over again. To swap out the subject, but it's the same bad conversation over and over and over again. It's familiar, it's comfortable, it's bad for you. They're having unhealthy conflict. It's like a dance. It's repeat and fall back into over and over again. This happens from generation to generation. How did your parents handle money? How did your parents, what was your parents' relationship like with food? What was your parents' relationship like? like each other? Right? These vicious cycles get repeated from generation to generation to generation. They're comfortable, they're familiar, they're terrible for you. Of course, an addict, right, is the most obvious example. Familiar, comfortable, terrible for you. And so, my friends, this is a temptation that almost all of us have. There's patterns in your family, patterns in your life that get repeated over and over and over again. And so, my friends, one question you got to ask is, are you awake to and aware of these vicious cycles, these vicious patterns that are in your life? And most importantly, are you looking to God to break the cycle? Are you asking for the power of God? to set you free from the cycles, maybe for generation upon generation upon generation, like we see here with the, with the Israelites, who revert back to worshiping the wrong gods over and over and over again. This whole thing, hot mess express, it just keeps unfolding over and over again. And the author of 1 Kings wants us to realize how bad it is in the summary statements. Let's just read those last couple verses here together. Jeroboam built shrines on the high places, appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. Wrong. They, he wasn't following God's commands. Wrong people. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, just like the festival held in Judah, offered sacrifices on the altar. This he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. At Bethel, he also installed priests at the high places that he had made. On the 15th day of the 8th month, a month of his own choosing, he offered sacrifices on the altar he had built at Bethel. So he instituted the festival for the Israelites and went up to the altar to make offerings. The author of First Kings wants us to see the Northern kingdom was a disaster from the very beginning. A couple hundred years later, they're going to be the first ones to fall. Their capital Samaria is going to get conquered. And, but nevertheless, God, who is faithful age to age, is rabid about pursuing the northern kingdom. If you grew up in church, you might have heard of uh, the prophets Elijah and Elisha, two of the most powerful prophets in the whole Old Testament. They are sent exclusively to the Northern kingdom to call them back to God, even though from the very beginning, they, they refused to serve the living god and hundreds and even after the capital of samaria falls and hundreds of years later god puts on flesh his name is jesus jesus goes right back up to the cap, the fallen capital of samaria he meets a woman at a well where he has one of the most important conversations he has with anyone recorded in the whole new testament where he declares that he is the messiah the christ they've been waiting for he tells a story later a parable of a good samaritan who serves when other people pass by and after his resurrection he gives his disciples instructions to go to the ends of the earth he almost always 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 includes names samaria because what god is doing in jesus is fulfilling the promises to bless all people and bring people back together even in the midst of all the hot mess expressed, that is jerusalem the new the northern kingdom the southern kingdom he is the one who is faithful age to age who one day will reconcile all things and make all things new in the meantime You and I got a little work to do. So here's today's wildly important take-homes as we close. First off, just want to name and lodge that God will bless all people through his people. And when his people stray from that source of blessing, he is faithful to correct them. So that's one way to think about what is God doing in the Old Testament when he sends through armies and sends prophets and tries to correct his people. He's just trying to get them back to the place where they can be a blessing to the nations. A couple things for us to think about today. Who or what are you looking to for wisdom and guidance, right? Who or what are you looking to for wisdom or guidance, especially when you're having to make a big decision, right? These three gifts, script, uh, Jesus, praying directly to Jesus, the wisdom of the scriptures, and Christian community. I want to invite you to lean into those at these key moments, right? What is faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage? What does it look like for you to lean into those things when you're in a hard spot? And then you should be awake to the fact that God has you in relationships with people that don't have any of these gifts in operations in their lives. What might it look like for you to be bold in praying and bold in inviting them to come and see what God has done? Next, hey, just be awake when you're kind of paralyzed with fear or there's a lot of fear in the system or in your heart, and your mind. I want to invite you to replace fear with what would faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage look like in this moment? What does it look like to make decisions out of faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage? Fear is a great alarm bell. It's a terrible instrument for making decisions. What would it look like for you to be a person who allows sort of something else to drive the bus rather than your fear to drive the bus when you're in the midst of a major, major life decision? And then finally, what are your vicious cycle patterns? Can you name those things personally as well as in your family? Can you identify what those things might be? What would it look like for you to actually break those vicious cycles and not fall into them? Because the God who is faithful age to age longs to break vicious cycles. And sometimes you need prayer. Sometimes you need intercessors. Sometimes you need other people to come alongside you. But the God who is faithful age to age has the power to break us out of the vicious cycles that our families have been stuck in for some of us for generations. And the invitation to all of us is to put, bring our lives and our hearts and even those vicious cycles and put them all in the hands of Jesus who has come to demonstrate God's faithfulness, to fulfill all the promises, and to make broken people whole again. This God is faithful age to age. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being faithful and patient with us. You are faithful and patient to Israel and Judah in the midst of their hot mess. And Lord, thank you for being faithful and patient with us in the midst of our own hot messes. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are here who are at major decision points in their lives, major things going on in their lives. Would you help them to make wise, courageous decisions full of faith, hope, and love, not hijacked by fear or pride or vanity or anxiety or ambition. Let none of those things Distract them or choke out the promises that you've made. Would we grow in trusting your promises, Lord God, that you're a Redeemer and you're faithful? Lord, would all of us have these good gifts in our lives of praying to you, looking at the scriptures, having relationships with Christian community that will help us to navigate the challenges of our lives? Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And Lord God, would we have a, a faithful picture of you, the faithful God? Even in this of your discipline, you're faithful and you're good. Would you help us to be courageous enough to walk by faith, to entrust our lives into your hands? Would you help us to understand what you're up to, Old Testament and New Testament? And Jesus, most of all, we say thanks for being a redeemer of every story, including Israel and Judah's story, including our story. Even the broken things, we put them in your hands, and you make them whole again as you're making all things new. That's our hope. And we pray in Jesus' strong in my name. Amen. Amen.